please take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. This afternoon, I'd like to talk about the great professions of Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon. Now, some of you are little and you might wonder, the great what? The great professions. Well, what is a profession? Well, a profession is something that someone says. So why the big word? I don't know. A profession is something that someone says. Now, it normally means that it's something that someone says that they believe. So they say something, and you would presume that it is something that they believe. Now, I would maybe ask you to raise your hands, but I'd be a little concerned that some of you would be tempted to lie. How many of you ever said something you didn't believe? Well, we got to be careful with that. We got to be careful with that, especially when we're speaking of something that um, is, is important, something that has to do with our own soul or the souls of other men. What great professions Nebuchadnezzar had. I don't know if you're like me, you probably struggle with some of the things that Nebuchadnezzar said. Let's look here in Daniel. We have the great king. And uh, you remember in Daniel chapter 2, we learned about this a few weeks ago. Uh, he had that dream, and he conveniently forgot it. And he called upon the wise men and the astrologers to come and tell him what he dreamed and tell him what he meant. Well, obviously, nobody could do that, except God on high. The one true God could do that. And God did that through the prophet Daniel, one of his own servants, Nebuchadnezzar's servants. And when Daniel had revealed to the king his dream and the meaning of his dream, which included, if you can believe this, events future, Nebuchadnezzar was really impressed. And he knew from Daniel that it was about his God. And if we look at the end of chapter 2, look with me at verse 46, please. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Well, you might be thinking, wait a minute, that's not good. He's got the wrong person here. He's supposed to be worshiping God, not Daniel. Well, follow with me. The king answered unto Daniel and said, here's his profession. Here's something the king is going to say. Of a truth. It is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Now somebody tell me, is this great profession of Nebuchadnezzar true? Are you hesitant? Oh, you're suspect of the guy who's speaking, aren't you? I am too. He says, of a truth. He declares it as being true. He declares Daniel's God to be the God of gods. Now, I used to struggle with that, and I used to think, well, what he's describing here is the fact that, um, you know, he's the God of gods, so he's recognizing that there's other gods. And I used to say that other gods don't exist, but that's not actually really true because a god is anything that we place in priority above the true God. And so, really, the truth is, is that um, we make gods out of a lot of stuff. 
And um, it's a problem. Even Satan, who is a real person, declares himself to, well, he doesn't declare himself. God describes him as being the God of this world. And here in this way, you might say Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging that, that the God of Daniel, he's the God of gods. No matter what men may make as gods, Daniel's God is above them all. And is that true? Yes, that's true. Is he the Lord of kings? Yes, he's the Lord of kings. Is he the revealer of secrets? He just did. So Nebuchadnezzar declares this great profession about Daniel's God. And then we turn the page. And he makes a golden image. All gold. In defiance, perhaps, of the dream he had where just the head was of gold and the prophecy and fulfillment of that was that he would be replaced by a different kingdom, a silver kingdom. In fact, he declares everybody, worship this golden image. So tell me about his profession in chapter 2 when you come to chapter 3. Did he really believe that the God of gods, who, by the way, declares himself to be the only God, the only true God, the creator of heaven and earth, did he really believe that God is who he said he was? The answer is simple. No. No. It's pretty clear he didn't believe that. Truly in his heart. And so he builds this image and he tells everybody to bow down and worship this image. And if you don't, you get cast into what? The burning fiery furnace. And remember three men, Daniel's friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who I believe along with Daniel before had purposed in their hearts that they would obey God. And they disobeyed the king because we ought to obey God rather than men. And they refused to bow to this golden image and they got themselves thrown into the burning fiery furnace and God delivered them. God rescued them. God spared them. And it shocked Nebuchadnezzar because even the guards who had thrown them into the burning fiery furnace died because they got too close. These guys fell down into the midst of the furnace and survived. In fact, came out without even a hair being singed or even the smell of fire upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar was impressed. And so he makes another great profession. He makes another great profession. And if we look here in Daniel chapter 3 and in verse 28, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded, the, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Wow! Nebuchadnezzar the, Nebuchadnezzar the pagan king is declaring that he, there's no god like this god. Now, before we go on, as we're analyzing the king's words here, notice how he continually refers to this God 
Have you noticed the pronouns? He, when he was talking to Daniel, referred to this God as your God. Here you notice he's referring to him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. It's quite intriguing. And, but yet you might think, indeed, Nebuchadnezzar is professing great professions of truth. And indeed, he is. But is it life-changing? Is it from the heart in a regenerating way? Is his heart, is it coming from a regenerated heart? Well, let's continue in the spiritual journey of Nebuchadnezzar and turn to chapter 4. Now, I got a question before you look too close at chapter 4. Who wrote the book of Daniel? Some of you are hesitant. Don't you all know? Who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. Oh, you're all partly right, and you're partly wrong. Chapter 4 was written by Nebuchadnezzar. You might say, huh? Really? Yes. For it tells us, Nebuchadnezzar the king, and to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. The great King Nebuchadnezzar declares in verse 2, I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward who? What's it say? What's the next word? Me. It's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is saying that this is what God has done with me. Daniel chapter 4, in the entire chapter of, of chapter 4, is Nebuchadnezzar's declaration. And I tend to think Daniel helped him write it and helped him with this proclamation. But uh, it is the testimony and declaration of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you start reading this chapter, and you know who Nebuchadnezzar was, and you know who he was in the historical world empire of Babylon, it is absolutely shocking. That such a great man would humble himself so much as to confess and to describe some of the things he does in Daniel chapter 4. We've seen great professions of Nebuchadnezzar. And now we have an entire chapter of a profession of Nebuchadnezzar. And next Sunday morning, we're going to learn about Daniel chapter 4 in Bible Hour. I'll give you a brief cliff note synopsis this afternoon. Nebuchadnezzar makes this proclamation because seven years before this proclamation, he had had another dream. And it was a dream of a great, glorious tree. The tree was a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar. In his dream, he saw this tree chopped down. And he saw a band wrapped around it. Daniel told him, seven years ago when he had this dream that the tree was a picture of him and that he would be chopped down. And just like that tree was great and magnificent and powerful and all the creatures of the earth found shade under it, it was just as great Nebuchadnezzar was. But the just as in this dream, the tree was chopped down so Nebuchadnezzar would be chopped down. And you see in all of this, Nebuchadnezzar in the prophecy of this 
in, in recounting the record of this, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in verse 32 that they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen and seven times shall pass over thee until. In my Bible, I've underlined that word. Until. Thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Well, this was a proclamation that took place after Nebuchadnezzar boasted of his greatness. He'd had the dream. He'd had the dream. Daniel had given him the interpretation of it. Um, the, the, the king seemed to have accepted it. And a year went by, and in that year, he'd gone down, he'd conquered Egypt, and he'd come back victorious, powerful. And he boasted of himself, and this voice fell from heaven. And it tells us in verse 33, the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, lived as a beast in the backyard of the palace. Remember the band that was wrapped around the tree? His kingdom was preserved to him. And after seven times, which as we compare Scripture to Scripture, the meaning of that is seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was restored, which is absolutely amazing. I think it actually demonstrates an incredible loyalty of Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar in preserving the kingdom those seven years while he was a madman. And if you look at verse 34... We find the wrap-up conclusion of this by Nebuchadnezzar. And it came, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honor him that liveth forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are true, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to a base. These are the last words of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you notice a few things about him? It's gotten very personal, hasn't it? It's no longer Daniel's God. It's no longer Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. It's the God of heaven who I honor, who I praise, who I extol. Many have asked the question, well, was Nebuchadnezzar considering all of his great professions? How do we know this just wasn't another yet political demonstration? 
Well, the Lord knoweth them that are his, the New Testament tells us, and that's very important to acknowledge. It's not our place to judge who are believers and who are not. The Lord knows who are. But it's intriguing here as I look at this and I see the voice from heaven. I told you that I had underlined that word until. I think that's significant. Until he knew. God was going to humble him till he truly knew. In fact, if we actually turn into the next chapter, in chapter 5, in verse 21, Daniel actually is describing to Nebuchadnezzar's son, his father, and he speaks of him in this judgment, and there again he uses the phrase, till he knew that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth it over it whomsoever he will. That until, that till, I think, is significant in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. But I have to ask the question, looking at Nebuchadnezzar's spiritual journey, we saw those great professions, and they weren't real, which causes us to some people, it's settled in my mind, but to some people look at the last one in Daniel 4, and they're just like, I don't know, it sounds, sounds a little bit like the other ones he gave. Is it real too? So here's the question I have for all of us. Do we profess that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again? I hope that we all would profess that. But is it real? Is it real? Or just words? I think in the end of Nebuchadnezzar's day, it was real. You see, there's a danger. That's hard to say that. Let me rephrase that. When you spend a lot of time around Christian people, there is a temptation to act like them, to talk like them, isn't there? Praise God that you're hanging out with Christian people. Praise God that your parents are Christians, right? But I beg you, don't act like you're a Christian. And if you're acting, I beg you to humble yourself before the God of heaven, as Nebuchadnezzar did, as every individual must and seek to know him and him alone. Salvation is not just saying a prayer. In fact, it's not saying a prayer. I shouldn't say it's not just. It's not saying a prayer. Salvation is being born again because you have trusted in the one who is Jesus who did everything for you to be saved. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He rose again so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could be given everlasting life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And you don't receive it by just saying a prayer. Yes, indeed, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But in the same context of that, it speaks of believing in your heart 
Is it real in your heart? You may make professions, but is the profession truly believed in your heart? How about some other things? Turn with me over to where we were this morning with Pastor Virgil in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We learned about how much better and greater Jesus Christ is. Our salvation is all about Jesus. Our life is all about Jesus. Our all in all is all about Jesus. He's better. He's greater. And you've been told this. And I hope that all of you, if I were to say, is Jesus better than anything and everything, I hope you all would raise your hand. I hope that you would all make the great profession that Jesus is greater than all. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my life. Jesus is my high priest. Seeing then, Hebrews 4.14 seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That's interesting to me. You know the truth. You've professed the truth. Hold fast to it. How many times do we get up in the day and we go about our day living life in our own strength and in our own way, and we've even forgotten to pray. We've forgotten to enter into the throne of grace to receive mercy that we need for everything. Probably, well, no, I, I, let me word, rephrase that. Absolutely, because... We've not held to what we know to be true and declared to be true in that day and in that moment. And so as Brother Rice here shared with us last week about presenting ourselves, each day we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Each day we hold fast to our profession. Each day we see and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Every day, let us hold fast to our profession. Now, this profession here is very particular about the profession and declaration that Jesus is greater. There's many things we profess about God, about what we believe in the Christian life. If it's from the scriptures and declared truth, do we hold fast to it? Do we continue to hold fast to it? It's put in another way in 2 Peter chapter 1, and there it's declared to us a, it's hard for me to just land in on this verse. I tell you oftentimes context is so important. And Second Peter is filled with a lot of truth that builds up to this declaration. But in all of this build up to this declaration, um, the plea for the Christian will begin in verse 8, coming to a climax in verse 10. For if these things be in you, which are a series of things that God adds to our faith, recorded in the previous verses, or if these things be in you and abound, they, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is interesting. Do you know who God is? I hope you all would say yes, I do. Do we know who God is? But does our knowledge of God have temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity? These are things that flow forth from that knowledge. These are things that are fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because look in verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. It keeps going and there's more. But how important it is for us each and every day to hold fast to our profession, here rooted in this way, to give diligence to make our calling and election sure, which all traces, by the way, back in all of this to a knowledge of God and to a faith in him. Do we continue through our lives with these professions? Not just professions, but words that come from our mouth and are truly believed in our heart. Let us hold fast to our professions. And may our professions be in accordance with the word of God. Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of great professions. I leave and encourage you with that, but I'd like to, in a few moments we have, consider another little related topic to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, before I do that, though, I, I need to tweak one of my slides here real quick. Hold on, you can leave that black back there for just a moment. I'd like to show you a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. Did you know that we still have modern-day Nebuchadnezzars? How many of you knew that? Oh. I spent the last week in Washington, D.C., and um, that's a great place, and it's a troubling place, and it's a great place. Um, it was intriguing to me to go places and to see things where I had to avert my eyes, and I'd avert my eyes, and I'd see a scripture, and I'd keep walking, and I'd have to avert my eyes from something I should not look at, and again, I'd see a scripture. I mean, it was pretty troubling. Um, how many times there were things that ought not to be, and then you would find scripture plastered, engraved, carved all over that city. Absolutely amazing. Our world uses scripture a lot. Um, do you all know this verse? It was referenced earlier this morning in one of the messages, Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Who said that? Who said that? Jesus did. No, no. It's on. Don't you see there? Well, maybe you can't see it. This is on a billboard paid for by Newsom for California Governor 2022. 
This is, this is governor of California, and, and, and it's his, for his campaign. And I'm not done. Get this. This isn't in California. Why, this guy's acting a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar. He's putting up billboards in Judea. Well, not in Judea. He's, he's putting them up in, in other states all around California. So how many are going to vote for Newsom? Well, you can't. You're all in Indiana. But if you're in California, you're going to tell your friends, hey, this guy here, he is using, he's quoting Jesus on his billboards. He's paying for this to be blasted, not just in California, but even in the states around California. I'm curious to know how many of you follow news. How many of you know where I'm going with this? Some of you do. Some of you don't have any idea. Would you like to see the rest of the billboard? Ah, some of you are kind of like, I don't think so. Tell me, is his profession real? It breaks my heart because really that scripture actually applies very real to the topic. I don't know this girl is probably just a stock image photography But just imagine for me with the moment that she does have a baby. She's not quite sure how she's going to support herself and that baby. How will the big, bold letters of her help her fulfill the words of Jesus? Newsom is boasting that California is following the words and advice of Jesus and loving their neighbors. That is, the states around them where abortion has been banned or nearly banned. And he's proclaiming to the world that this is obeying Jesus' command to love your neighbor. But tell me, if this young girl in this picture travels to the next state, to California, to get an abortion, is she truly loving her closest neighbor? Her closest neighbor is the baby whom she carries. To truly love her neighbor would certainly not be to kill it. I cite this because I, I this happens all the time. I, I, I could give example after example after example of the political expedience that we saw of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 3 over and over and over and over and over again. Just because somebody uses Bible, don't vote for them. Election's coming up. Just because somebody uses the Bible, don't vote for them. That's what this governor is doing. We have to acknowledge in our politics our citizenry and citizen responsibility to recognize that God rules in the kingdom of men. I find it sad that Mr. Newsom, governor of California, forgot the these 
You see that command? There is no greater commandment than these. How many commandments do you see on the billboard? One. How many of you know the commandment that comes right before this? Oh, good. Can you tell me what it is? Yes. That's right. Love the Lord your God. The full context of it is with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all of you. Love the Lord your God. Then love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Plural. That's important. You see, even in Nebuchadnezzar and all of these situations, it's, it is about loving God, knowing God, trusting and obeying God, even suffering for obeying God rather than men. How important that is. So if we were to just go right back to this, this is true. But when you see it in the context of this, you find the scripture greatly being violated. And so it is so important for us as we continue through this life that we be alert. Wake up. That's a command in scripture, to be awake. I actually think it is a tragedy. I don't know the history of the modern term woke, but I think it is a tragedy that the people who are holding for things that are anti-God and against his word are referred to as woke people. You know why I think that's troubling? Because we're all supposed to awake. We're supposed to wake up. We're supposed to be paying attention. We are, as Christians, supposed to be. And it's disturbing to me that what is something should be used for us is being used for things that people are woke to, but they're, but they're woke to, I'm not sure how to categorize it. We need to be woken up. We need to be awoke people to what God has said. In fact, the very passages that command us as Christians to awake are dealing with the fact that the world is troubling and we need to be alert. We need to be discerning people. Now this, I think most of you are very discerning people and you can see this right through this. But you know, there's times in which it's not so clear. I was at a museum last week and it was talking some things about um, the impact, the global impact of the Bible around the world. And there was one section in the museum that also was troubling to me because it, it, was, it was speaking of the influence of the Bible in, in culture. And in one part, it talked about how it had an influence in fashion and then began to show illustrations of how the Bible has an influence in fashion. Now, should the Bible have an influence in fashion? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what was tragic? Is that what they were featuring and demonstrating... I, I had to walk away from the exhibit because it was taking Bible verses and, and Bible concepts and symbols and ideas and incorporating them into uh, immoral fashion, lascivious fashion. And uh, it was kind of sad because it was talking about the influence of the Bible and I could have thought of some good examples of how the Bible would influence our fashion, but it wasn't in that category. 
And you know, we need to be alert. We need to be discerning. And we need to recognize that indeed the Bible should have a global impact. Our God should have a global impact in our own lives and in everything in which we are involved and engaged in in life. Not like this, but in a true, sincere way. A true, sincere way. Does God, the high king of heaven, rule in my heart? Does he rule in my work and study? Does he rule in my entertainment? Does he rule in my fashion? Does he rule in my politics? Does he rule in my family's life? Does he rule? Let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let us acknowledge him. Let us know him. Not to make a political statement, not to win an argument, not to fit in at church or with my friends, but to know him and to know his word that our lives might reflect the glory of Jesus. Jesus living in us. Do we know him? Does he abide in us? And do we abide in him? I pray that it would change our lives. That last declaration of Nebuchadnezzar, all of chapter 4, really. How today, may I ask, how today will you praise and extol and honor the King of heaven? All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those who walk in pride he is able to abase. You might say, well, we've already sang songs in praise. Well, that is good. Extol means to lift up, to glorify. And you know you can do that in singing too. But it's more than just singing a song. It's in how we think. It's in what we do. It's in the things we don't do. But it's knowing God. It's knowing do you know him? Does he know you? If you say yes, praise God. Hold fast to your profession. Trust him day by day, moment by moment. Rest and hope in him. I'd like for you to just take a moment. I'm going to be quiet. And I'd like you to look there again with me at Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. And I'd like you to read it over a few times in your mind in the quiet of the, of the room. And I'd like you to pray to the Spirit of God to show you ways that you can obey the example set forth by Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps that may mean stop doing some things. 
Perhaps that may mean start doing some things. But let me give you a little hint as you're thinking and meditating. Can I pause you from jumping ahead of me? Just a moment, let me give you a heads up. Whatever you do is not about some self-righteousness or some self-discipline. It is about what Brother Reisinger preached about last Sunday morning, presenting yourself before your God and letting him do the work in you. So let's look at this and meditate on this verse here for a few moments. With Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Would you raise your hand if you profess that today? Praise God. Put your hands down. Thank you. Lord Jesus, Great King of heaven, we bow to you today. And Lord, I pray that you would, through your Spirit, lead us to hold fast to this profession that day by day we might present ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, I pray for those here who have not received you. 
that your spirit would work in their hearts, that they would believe, hope, and trust in you. And Lord Jesus, I pray for those of us whom you have elected and called, who have rest, trusted and hoped and believed in you, that we might hold fast to our profession that you will guide us in each moment of every day as we abide in you to live the reality of these truths. Great God, glorify and honor yourself through us, for without you, we can do nothing. May we truly, humbly acknowledge that. And Lord, I think every one of us, as once our father, the devil, the father of lies and the king of pride lifted himself up, we are tempted to lift ourselves up. May we recognize that you are one who resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You are also one who not only resists the prouds but is able to abase Lord, may we humble ourselves, but if necessary, abase us, even as you did Nebuchadnezzar. And may we live our lives abiding and hoping in you. We need you every hour and every day. And we bow and humble, bef humble ourselves before you in this realization and truth. Lift us up, Father. Lift us up. Wherever each one here is, in what place. May we lift our eyes to you, Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. May we run on not beaten down with guilt, but just as you moved forward into the most terrifying and agonizing hours anyone could imagine, you did so for the joy that was set before you. May we consider you our joy and run this race. Let us lay aside the sin that so easily besets us, so easily sets us back, holds us back, and your grace run with patience. Lord Jesus, it is all of you and through you that we have our being. May we live in that reality every moment of every day as we hope, rest, and trust in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.